Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. We are now back from a little break. Hopefully, we're all feeling recharged, ready to continue our journey through Nevi'im. We're picking up today with the 10th parak of Sefer Malachim. Last parak, following the completion of the Beis HaMikdash, we had a slew of these brief anecdotes which indicated to us that something was amiss. Para was conquering land in, uh, in Canaan, uh, he conquered Gezer. Shlomo was sending boats abroad to amass gold, vast wealth. He was gifting cities to Hiram, cities from the land of Israel. Ultimately, Hiram does not want the gift, but the fact that Shlomo was willing to even offer them is kind of questionable. And we're told that Shlomo uh, is enslaving, has enslaved a local non-Israelite population to do all, all sorts of manual labor. Each of these stories left us feeling not quite right, a little bit uneasy. And, uh, and it was uh, all the more so knowing that we were headed towards Parak Yud Aleph, next Parak, um, where we uh, will encounter Shlomo's great sin. And because we know we're headed towards the sin, we're looking, we're on high alert now for these warning signs that precipitate that sin. And so with that kind of heightened sensitivity, we are, we are uh, looking at these prakim a little bit more critically, and that, that carries over into our perak as well. Our perak in a vacuum is incredibly positive. It begins with the queen of Sheba, who is uh, the, the queen of, uh, where, where is Sheba? That is likely somewhere near modern-day Yemen. So this queen comes to Yerushalayim, and she wants to see for herself if indeed Shlomo's uh, acclaim, if all of this, uh, the, this tremendous reputation that Shlomo has, uh, has gained worldwide, if it is deserved, and if his kingdom is as great as people say. So she tests Shlomo's wisdom, and she sizes up his whole kingdom, and she determines, so she's kind of our... Uh, objective witness to the fact that, in, that it is indeed the case that Shlomo is as great as his reputation suggests. In fact, she says, uh, the, the rumors are o- only capture half the greatness. Shlomo's twice the man that people say he is. So Shlomo is indeed as outstanding as everyone has come to believe. Now, on the most basic level, this is the greatest, most concrete expression of Shlomo's unprecedented and unreplicated success. This is proof that Shlomo has reached un, unmatched heights. Shlomo has sanctified Hashem's name. This is the, an incredible Kiddush Hashem. He's brought great honor to the name of Hashem to, Hashem, to Hashem's house, to Hashem's people, and to himself. And to that extent, to that end, the story really captures the unique vision that Shlomo has uh, placed, the, the blueprints uh, that Shlomo has uh, implemented in the base of Mikdash itself as this kind of international hub, a magnet, drawing people to Hashem. This is a demonstration of just that. It's, this, it's, it's a great victory. It's a great success. This is really very positive. At the same time, with our more probing eye, aware that we are headed towards sin, we can see that some things here are not quite right. Firstly, while Hashem and the Beis HaMikdash do factor into the queen's assessment of the grandeur of the nation, the major factor is, the major focus, I'll say, is on Shlomo himself. The Pasuk says, Vatera makas sheva es kol chachmas Shlomo vehabayas asher bana. And the queen of Sheba, she saw the wisdom of Shlomo and the house that he built. So his wisdom it's, it, there is the house that he built, meaning it's, that's a focus on the Mikdash, presumably. 
unless it's actually his his palace. That I guess there's some ambiguity there. But even if you say it's the Beis Hamikdash, the focus is on the fact that Shlomo built it, and then it talks about the food on his table and the the um, the servants and the way the the, the ministers were all. Um, bedecked in such fine clothing and the cupbearers and it talks about the burnt offerings that he offered in Beis Hashem but again it's about him it's about his offerings in Beis Hashem not so much that she is marveling at at the beauty of the Beis Hashem itself so I think we sense in these psukim a certain uh, a certain tension between Who's in center stage? Who's the star here? And I think it is Shlomo who emerges as the star, supplanting, displacing Hashem to some degree. If we continue to follow that line of thinking, so then we're seeing a kind of transformation in Shlomo, who has become this icon, who has become this world-renowned figure. And we might also contrast this meeting with the Queen of Sheba with and with, with an earlier episode. This is Shlomo meeting with the Queen of Sheba displaying his wisdom. When else did we see him displaying his wisdom? Right after Hashem bestowed this wisdom upon Shlomo, he is adjudicating this case, right? It's famously expressed in the fact that he's adjudicating this case between uh, these two women who are fighting over whose baby it is, and he delivers the verdict to cut the baby in half, and we, we, we're familiar with this story. So, But who are the parties in that case? Who are the two uh disputants in that case. It was two harlots. It were two women from the, really the margins of society. And Shlomo was investing his time in solving their problems, which demonstrates to us that he was really among the people. It's a very, it paints a very modest picture of Shlomo. Now we're seeing him use that wisdom, but it's to impress foreign royalty. That's really the function here. The the point was not so much even, uh, the focus isn't even on uh, the need to deliver a solution, the, the, the need here is really just to impress. And so uh, I think we're, we're seeing a transformation uh, if we put these two in- instances together. Does that mean that Shlomo stopped presiding over humbler disputes? Not necessarily, but the text is painting a certain picture of Shlomo. And it's a strikingly different picture than the one that we had earlier. The remainder of the parak rounds out this picture of extreme wealth under Shlomo's rule with every kind of luxury in great abundance, summed up very well by the fact that we're told that uh, gold and the finer things were so plentiful that silver, which in other times is very valuable, basically lost all worth. It was like mere stones. People didn't even care about silver because gold itself was in such abundance. But this overwhelming focus on wealth, together with the superabundance of horses, which is again described in this perek, specifically horses from Egypt, which goes against, both of all these things go against the mandate of the Torah, right? The Torah limits the amount of wealth a king can have, the amount of horses, and specifically horses uh, from Egypt. So, we're seeing that Shlomo is kind of crossing these, these, these lines. And then that coupled with the beginning of next parak, which tells us that Shlomo violated another one of the Torah's limitations on the king, which is to not accrue too many wives. So it's clear that Shlomo has breached uh, certain boundaries, certain excesses that are inappropriate. And ultimately, that, I think we're, when we put this all together, we see that Shlomo is a kind of victim of his own success perhaps too, too greatly uh, confident in his own wisdom. That's how the Medrash uh, 
constructs this, construes this, that Shlomo felt that he was he could have all of these excesses and, and he would not fall prey to to sin. But ultimately, as we will see, no one is immune uh, to those dangers, not even the wisest man to ever live. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.